What's going on, guys? Anthony here. So I have an amazing episode for you guys that I really want you to dive into, break down, dissect, and really try to learn from. The episode that you're about to listen to is from an amazing woman, uh, an amazing person in this industry of HR that is really trying to make a change for people, not only women, but men too, as it pertains to harassment, as it pertains to just overall fairness within the organization, as it pertains to trying to make a difference and a change with all these organizations moving forward and trying to just really teach the executives and the leaders and the HR directors of how to handle certain situations as it pertains the harassment, whether that's sexual harassment, whether that's discrimination, whether that's not promoting the right uh, candidates or the right internal staff, whatever the case is going to be, there's so much, um, how can I put this? There's so many negativity that is happening right now in the overall industry where a lot of HR leaders are not really understanding how to take hold of the situation fix the situation, impact the situation. And this person that I have in this episode today is really doing a great job with her company, HR Uprise, trying to find different ways to fix this problem and to solve this issue. Rebecca Weaver is the guest that I have on today. I'm super excited about her being on this show. I'm super excited about her overall perspectives uh, and the value that she can really bring to E1B2. I'm excited for you guys to listen. And again, please take a second, pause the uh, episode at any point that you feel you need to. I want you to break this down, dissect it, understand it, and really enjoy it. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. Perfect. So do us a favor and tell us a little bit more about your overall background, uh, the previous company you were with, and more importantly, what you're doing now with your new company. I'm really excited about that. Absolutely. Well, let's see. My career has been nearly 20 years now, mostly in HR roles. Spent, I like to describe the first half of my career as the learning the ropes. So spent about 15 years with a couple of huge companies, Target and Home Depot in various those companies. Um, Really learned, I think, in great environments. I um, had amazing experiences in both companies, um, very different in a lot of ways, but um, really kind of learning the ropes. And then my more recent career is what I refer to as kind of learning which rules to break. Um, so spent some time with smaller companies, a lot of startups, um, doing things as I describe on the other end of the spectrum. So working with companies that are doing things that are very experimental, like self-management, meaning working for a company where we had about 300 employees and no people managers, Um, all the way to uh, creative agencies and um, consulting firms. So pretty wide variety. Um, I consider myself really, really fortunate to have had the experiences that I have. Um, And then I guess I'll just go into what led me to my current organization. Um, Great. So in the wake of Me Too going viral, of course, we all uh, now know much better that Me Too started tens about a decade ago um, with Tarana Burke Um, but when Me Too went viral in a little bit different way a couple of years ago um, and really the conversations are changing um, in the workplace I'm watching a lot of uh, women in particular sharing their stories and experiences saying yes I've, I've experienced those things too and I'm watching all of this happening and I'm watching organizations like Time's Up being formed in the entertainment industry. Um, And now they've spread beyond just the entertainment industry, but 
watching organizations like that. And I kept saying, like, where is this happening in business? Where are we seeing business leaders standing up saying, you know, no more um, time's up for for what has been the status quo? Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't happening. And so I was talking with a, a few of my coworkers at the time. And the more we talked about it, at the same time, I'm also watching a very interesting conversation happening about HR and HR's role within V2. And what I'm hearing over and over again are people saying, if you are harassed, don't go to HR. HR is not, HR is not your friend. Um, HR, and really the, the point of, of a statement like that is to say that HR is really there for the company, that HR's loyalties really um, come down to the company and that they will not be there to protect the employee um, if it comes down to it. And I'm watching that. And as an HR professional who has sat through by now, probably hundreds of investigations over the course of my career, it's so frustrating to me because I think it doesn't have to be that way. And yet, if I'm really honest in thinking about it, saying, you know, don't go to HR or HR is not there to protect you, that's actually probably pretty good advice in a lot of cases. And so it was really that conflict, that internal conflict that I had um, that really led to this realization that HR is a really, really important constituency or stakeholder in this entire conversation. And yet I didn't see a lot of conversation happening within the HR community. So I launched HR Uprise. And at the time, I was trying to figure out what's the right um, avenue for getting this message out. I just kept saying, I have so much to say. I have so much that I think we really, I want to start a conversation. Um, I want to change the conversation that's happening today. Um, and I was watching other organizations using Instagram as a really interesting way to, to launch conversations. So that's, that's where it started. Um, and since it's been, I guess, not quite a year and a half now, um, but in the past year, year and a half that um, I've been operating, um, it's been really, really interesting to see. First of all, it was an overwhelming response, especially in the, the very beginning. Um, but to see just how many people are really looking for a different, they want a different operate, a way of operating for HR, whether it's HR professionals saying we want to do things differently or whether it's employees reaching out saying, I can't trust the HR team that I have, but I'm looking for some informed advice. You know, how, how can you help me? So that's really what's been fueling me ever since. So there's a lot to unpack here, but I want to touch on something that I think is pretty fascinating. Um, Cause again, you've, you've listened to my, my background and uh, a lot of the listeners here, I've, I often talk about it. So I'm, I'm sure they know about it. So I won't bore anybody with it. But um, if you look at the title of this brand, this idea that I'm trying to, to, to formulate here, which is employees first business second, yeah. um, that seems completely opposite to, what you've been saying and what the traditional HR landscape looks like from the employee's perspective right now, again, um, I, I guess I will bore you guys a little bit. Again, you guys know my background. Um, I don't traditionally come from this landscape. I come from more of the entrepreneurial lens, um, the business development lens, the marketing lens. And then I've always had a parallel and a, and a good empathy around employees and, and trying to get them to be more and, and, and develop them and all that good stuff. And so, um, I've always thought of an employee coming first, right? Because at a very simple level, without, uh, without your employees, without productive employees, you simply have an idea or a building. 
or a product. You don't have anyone to sell that product, to market that product, to develop your employees, to, to grow the business, to make money. Um, so that's the core of why I always say E1B2. And then from there, I'm always about the employees' emotions, their perspectives first before I worry about any business outcomes and finances. So uh, am I crazy? Or like, talk to me about that really quickly um, because that's been my gut intuition moving forward. And it seems to be the very opposite. Well, first of all, of course, you're not crazy. No, definitely not. Um, I think what you are touching on is an issue that I have really been diving deep into since launching HR Uprise. And it's this huge question of really does what is best for the employee and what is best for the company, do those two things really have to be at odds? And I don't think they do. I don't think that they absolutely, that we have to choose one or the other, or that even in the best of circumstances that we have to prioritize one over the other. I think that by prioritizing um, that we are, yes, we're here to do, most companies are here to do business. You're here to make a profit. Um, And yet at the same time, you know, does that have to be absolutely um, exclusionary of um, things that are good for employees? Um, No, in the best of circumstances, having a robust, healthy company Um, that has good profits, that is also able to provide a great, safe work environment, um, a productive and supportive work environment for its employees that pays employees well, that rewards in every sense of the word, um, employees for the good work that they're doing that helps enable the company's success. Like it really is um, an incredibly beneficial um, ecosystem. But it doesn't always work that way. And I think for too long um, in, you know, gosh, we could go back, you know, decades into the industrial revolution, right, to Mm -hmm. to see and even before that, um, to see where things really have gone off the rails in a lot of ways. um, And that we're, you know, we have viewed for too long, um, again, that that what's best for the company and what's best for the employee have to be mutually exclusive or that we have to set it up as a one versus the other. Well, let me ask you this and then we'll get more into your project because I'm definitely very interested in what you're, what you're working on right now. Um, do you, where are our employees getting this perception from, right? Like where are they getting this idea? Are they getting this from like legitimate day-to-day interactions with HR where like at a very simple level, they're just realizing HR does not care about their, true perspectives and emotions and they're always putting the the brand first or are they getting this from like where is this I guess essentially coming from do you think well I hear from a lot of employees and I would say that's probably been one of the biggest surprises I had since starting HR Uprise Mm -hmm. I did not necessarily anticipate the number of people that I hear from who are not HR um, who are reaching out saying, hey, I'm looking for, again, a lot of times they're looking for advice or for help in navigating a really challenging situation. And what I would say is I see, of course, everything everything's kind of a spectrum or shades of gray when it comes to this. But um, I see people looking at it a number of ways. I actually don't hear too frequently, oh, HR doesn't care. They're uncaring about what happens. Um Yes, there are a few, you know, there are some people who feel that way. But what I would say I hear more often is this understanding that at the end of the day, HR's hands are tied, that they may be trying to do the right thing. But again, if it comes down to it, 
um, then HR is going to side with the company and therefore they can never truly be an unbiased party within the workplace. And at the end, I mean, that's, it's pretty true, you know, in most organizations, I've heard lots of thought experiments around having HR report outside of the company, but I have not still to this day. And I would love to hear if anybody is aware of any companies where this exists, where HR reports independently within the company, meaning like HR would report directly to the board of directors, for example, or to an independent party outside of the company so that they can maintain true independence. I would love to hear if that exists out there. I would love to hear it. Um, well, that, but it, no, good thing. I'm sorry. No. So, so most of the time, um, it's true. You know, eventually I've always said, eventually HR has to report up to someone. Right. And so yeah. in ideal cases, um, I would say HR reports up as high as possible within the organization. So that's one of the fundamentals that I recommend, um, which is HR should not be reporting to finance, for example, Um, HR should not be reporting to a chief operating officer. HR should be as independent as possible. So I strongly, strongly recommend HR should report up as high as possible within the organization. So most of the time that's a CEO or the head of a division or whatever the appropriate company structure is. Um, But again, even with that, um, it can still prevent or present um, some challenges. Um, you know, what if it is that person that they report to who is accused of inappropriate behavior? Yeah. So, so yeah, so there are a lot of, um, you know, really, really complex um, challenges, um, even just with the structure of HR. But to go back to the question you asked before um, around, you know, what is the, where's the perception coming from? Um, What I hear from people a lot is that it's either they've experienced directly themselves Um, a situation where they reported something um, and it was either ignored completely or covered up or um, sadly, I hear from a lot of people still who are retaliated against within their workplace and they either lose their jobs entirely or the person that they're accusing of misconduct is promoted. I mean, you hear all kinds of um, stories and there's a lot of research now that's um, supporting Um, The fact that, you know, still to this day, a huge percentage of people who come forward to report misconduct are retaliated against in some way within the company. And so let me ask you this, and then I want to know a little bit more about the the whole entrepreneurial vision and plan that you have with this brand that you're working on. If you were to give a tip to, because something I'm trying to do a little bit more content around is giving tips towards the employees themselves. A lot of my content is around, giving tips to other, you know, executives, other managers, other HR people. Um, and really it's given, you know, reminding myself, right. It's really the, the, the origin story of why I'm giving a lot of this content. Cause I always want to stay sharp in my own perspectives. Um, but if you were to give a tip to an employee, right. That's trying to select a company, an employee that's very competent, has all the credentials that, that, that has the flexibility to choose a great brand. What what type of questions would you would you pose that they you know that they, that excuse me that they decide to ask in those interviews to try to figure out if it's the right culture if the executive team the board of directors have the right perspective about HR when it comes to the, their overall position like what what type of questions should they ask to try to figure out if it's a good brand or not It's a great question and you are hitting on something that I think a lot of people miss 
which is the fact that employees absolutely have a choice of where to work. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to friends and family, uh, you know, giving them the coaching advice for if they're going in to interview for a new company, um, I make sure to always remind them of exactly this, which is you are in the driver's seat. You are interviewing this company just as much as they are interviewing you. Um, So yes, you're exactly right. Um, So I think a couple of questions that I recommend asking are really around, you know, lots of companies have values and they're very proud of espousing their values. And typically you will hear about that in an interview process. So one of my favorite questions to, um, to ask from, from the interviewees perspective. So the candidate interviewing for a job is tell me about something that would, that you think, is typical of this. Tell me about an experience or something that happened here that you would say could only happen here. Interesting. Right. So it's those things like, Oh gosh, yeah, that could only happen here at X company. Um, Look for those kinds of stories, ask them to tell stories um, that they think um, give you the best example of, Oh, this could only happen here. Cause what you will hear as they're telling the story, number one, listen for, you know, what is it that is coming off the top of their head? Um, You know, what's top of mind for them about what is very typical about that company culture? Um, And then also kind of read between the lines. You know, there's a lot that you can um, hear in a story about um, who's involved. Um, You know, what is that particular situation? What kind of story are they telling? What message is that sending? You know, because it's essentially that is the story that they want to tell about their company to you as a candidate. Mm -hmm. And that will tell you a lot about what they actually value. Um, And you can see if you feel like that actually lines up with the the values that they put up on the wall. Got it. That's that's that. Those are great tips. I I, I see that. Right. And and, and I'm I'm definitely going to think more about this because something I'm trying to do right now with the company that I'm working for, we're hiring a lot of new people at the moment and I'm trying to coach and develop them to, to ask deeper questions to make sure that we're a good fit for them. Yeah. Right. Um, because I, I don't want it to be a one-sided scenario. And, and I'm trying to coach my CEO through this as well. You know, he, he's always looking yeah. for a candidate to be super excited to work for us and to be super dedicated and, and excited about that factor. But you have to remember this candidate is a good candidate. They have other options as well. So they need to make sure that the fit, truly feels comfortable for them. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this. Talk to me about kind of the minutiae, the, the overall goal of this, of this entrepreneurial path you're going down. What, are you, what change are you really trying to bring to the table? Um, and, and, and realistically, how are you going to do that, you think, in the next five to 10 years? Right? So, I, so I know you're not going to be able to solve everything, but like, you know, break it down for me step by step what you're really trying to accomplish here. Yeah. Oh, man. Um breaking down the patriarchy is going to take a number of years. Right. And I I certainly am not the only one out here fighting the good fight. Um, So where at the end of the day, really where I'm headed with HR Uprise um, is I've I've said from the beginning, I really want to change the conversation about company culture Mm. in the workplace. And so it started with a conversation about me too. And again, it's really important for us not to lose sight of the fact that that the issue of harassment in the workplace, the issue of sexism in the workplace, and then honestly, it leads into conversations around racism in the workplace, um, gender equality, all of these things. Um, that is not solved by any means. Um, we certainly, even when we start with the, the 
question around harassment, uh, it is still happening. The depending on where you look, people estimate um, or researchers estimate anywhere from fifty to eighty percent of all misconduct in the workplace goes unreported, wow. and that is still true to this day. Um, so it is really, really important to, to state, like, no, we have not moved on from this. <laughs> this has not been solved by any means. I think that um, it tends to be a question around or a, a feeling um, occasionally that, oh, we've dealt with all the really bad apples. You know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world um, have been dealt with. And yet, by the way, he still hasn't. <laughs> um, but but it, it absolutely has not. And again, I can tell you based on my own experience, I'm still hearing from people every week about situations that they're encountering. Um, someone who spoke up on behalf of um, what she felt was pregnancy discrimination in the workplace. And she went in to get uh, what she thought was going to be a follow-up from HR and was fired. Um, again, that was just a few weeks ago. So these things are still happening. So at the end of the day, my my goal with HR Uprise is really to change the conversation. Um, and I think there are a couple of really important audiences within that conversation. You are doing this with the work you're doing here. Um, but I think that one of the most important audiences that really is left out of the conversation too often are the employees. You know, what can I do if I'm experiencing harassment in the workplace or if I'm experiencing misconduct or bullying or, again, any of the different variations that we see? What can I do? Where can I actually go to get good advice about how to deal with that? So much of what I see out there right now when it comes to there's a lot of really great consulting and training um, and all kinds of things that are available for companies um, focused on culture and employee engagement and all of those things. But very little of it actually focuses on empowering employees and giving them more tools in their kit. Um, and that is what continues to perpetuate the issue of harassment and misconduct is that power differential, that power dynamic that's at play within the workplace. So I really am focused on providing more tools, um, more training, um, just putting more in the hands, more information in the hands. And maybe it's a little bit of the HR insider information, Yeah, you know, right. It's the like, Hey, I can be your, I'll be your HR friend, you know, mm -hmm. that you can call for the, the right information. Um, so there's that. I definitely think that within HR and HR professionals, there's so much that we need to completely change about how we operate, even things that are really well-intentioned within company cultures, we need to change how we're doing those things. And so I'm on a mission to change that as well. And then, of course, leaders within the workplace are another huge audience um, that, again, HR is an important constituent, but they certainly can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. um, and it really does require leadership um, within companies of all sizes um, to examine all of these things and to be willing to reexamine and change up what we've been doing. So let me ask you this. Um, I'm going to ask you a tough question that I just, just literally popped in my head as you were talking here. So let's say you have a, a woman or a male, because like we talk, you know, that's, that's a conversation mm -hmm. that we don't talk yep. about, right? I mean, yep, males happens. go through this as well. Um, yep. Let's say there's a scenario where they're 47, they have two or three kids, they are not a senior exec, you know, they don't have a very high 
paying uh, lucrative position uh, where they don't have a lot of power or a lot of um, leadership over others in the, in the organization. Um, and they're dealing with a very difficult harassment situation, but they're afraid. They're afraid because yeah. they know if they come to the table, they're going to lose their, their job potentially, or they're afraid because of the perception or the narrative that may be painted about them, or they're afraid because maybe there's a promotion coming up that they know that they're the right candidate for, and they're going to get passed over because of these issues. And they need that money, right? They, their, yeah. their kids are heading to school. Um, they're not even making that much as it is now. Um, they're afraid to, 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 to quit and then go through the, the grueling process of trying to find another job while yeah. trying to maintain finances in, in, the, in the intermediate time. Like, so what do you say to them? Yeah. I know well, it's this, a tough question, but. No, it, it, it is because, exactly because this is what prevents people from coming forward in the first place. You know, this is what continues to, this is what ensures that that percentage of unreported claims that I talked about earlier will continue to be such a high percentage. It's all of these complex issues that come into play and keep people from coming forward. So a couple of things, and I will tell you, this is actually based directly on my own experience. Um, so I have a number of things that I recommend um, and people can reach out at HR Uprides if they want more of this detail. And we're working hard on getting more of this out. But a couple of things I recommend. Number one, um, this is one, one, my first recommendation is one that we don't talk about that often. Um, and it's what I call, uh, F you money. <laughs> it okay. is building up savings, um, so that you can get to the point where maybe you can't take an entire year off to look for a new job, but you're building up enough of a savings and nest egg. And again, this can take a little while. Um, but giving yourself the flexibility and freedom to not be, stuck in an environment so that is true. truly toxic for you. Um, so again, that is one that can take a little bit of time, but the earlier you start, the better off you're going to be. Um, but giving yourself options, um, saving money gives yourself, gives you options. Um, now, again, I know that's not always possible for people. Um, so my best advice, if you find yourself in a situation like that um, is number one, you have to, you certainly do have to go through, all of the um, kind of calculus and um, evaluation that you just laid out. Um, you know, do, is this the only job that I have available? Most of the time, the answer is actually no. Mm -hmm. um, and that is why I also recommend for people, even if you really like your job, it is super healthy to get out there and interview for other jobs that are available. You know, answer that cold email that you get from a recruiter or the LinkedIn message that you get from a recruiter every once in a while, there's no harm at all in just keeping your options open, you know, going through an interview process with another company, just so you understand what your options are that are out there. Um, and honestly, it's a huge confidence booster for you as well um, to understand that, no, this current job is not the only option that I have. Mm -hmm. Um I think the other thing that I recommend too, so if you go back to like in the moment you're experiencing, you're either seeing it yourself, experiencing it yourself, you're a witness. Um, I think you can look at, you know, how has this company handled this before? Um, whether I hear about it from other employees or whatever, what I have seen myself, how has this company dealt with this before? Has the company ever 
um, fired someone for harassment? Have they ever um, put someone on final warning? Um, again, those are the things that people, the, where the whisper network actually becomes incredibly useful. Exactly. Um, and what, what management may tend to call the rumor mill um, but it really is the whisper network that, that will give you a lot more detail um, and a lot more information around how a company actually deals with things. Um, and I think you do, you have to look at all of those things for me, myself, when I got to a situation a few years ago where I spoke up, um, as the HR professional, by the way, um, spoke up about what I finally saw as a very distinct pattern of, um, a really challenging environment, um, a distinct double standard for women within the organization. I laid out all of the examples. Um, and again, what I felt was my job to do at that time um, to say this is at best a really horrible thing for women and we should change what we're doing because it's the right thing to do. But at worst, at the very least, you know, understand that this is a huge liability for this organization. And I mm. felt like it was my job. And not only did all of that just go completely unnoticed um, and was it, it was completely ignored, but then I became the internal target. And one of the things I learned in that experience as difficult as it was, um, was that you, you, uh, at the end of the day, you will realize that the only thing that you can control is yourself. I would say my concern for the other women within the organization kept me there probably longer than I should have been. Yeah. Um, because I thought, well, gosh, if I'm standing up, if I'm the one standing up and it's really within my job description to do this, and if this is how I'm being treated, you know, what hope does anybody else within the organization have for speaking up for themselves? And that by itself, but at the end of the day, I finally did have to come to a realization that I could not change what was happening at that company um, and that all of my best efforts um, were not enough and that I wasn't going to be able to change the environment. And once I finally got to that realization, I did make a change and I ended up leaving. Um, and again, you may have to wait until you have something else lined up. Um, you may, again, have enough of that FU money saved up to give yourself more options and you can leave before then. Uh, but make a plan. At the end of the day, even if your plan is 12 months into the future, knowing that you have a plan um, for an exit, um, it does make a huge, huge difference in your overall mental health and will give you enough to keep going. Yeah, those are all great tips. And, and, and to touch on one thing that you said, I had a mentor recently say something to me that was that was really interesting. He said that the most difficult part about your job moving forward is going to be the fact that you know, you don't have another HR director, director of employee experience, VP of people. You don't you don't have someone like you to talk to, yeah. you know, when, in, in, in situations like that, where there may be a disconnect between yourself and exec in the executive team. Um, you know, so how did you battle through that? Like, are, do you can you resonate with that statement? Because Absolutely. When, he, when he said that to me, it really hit me. And I was like, wow, like all the like. If, if me and the CEO are not seeing completely eye to eye on what should happen with the internal workings of the staff here, I'm kind of just sitting alone with these thoughts and perspectives. And, and, and I'm, I'm honestly, there's a, there's a lot of anxiety that, that can, that can come with that. So how did you deal with that? There's other HR executives out here that are, that are dealing with that issue. Yeah. I was working for a small enough company at that point in time that, you know, I, I had a couple of direct reports 
And I was, of course, very, very worried about them. Um, And then I was the head of HR. So we had a relatively small team. Um, And it was, you know, that, like I said, that's what kept me in the role longer than maybe I should have. And certainly had I been part of a larger system, um, maybe I would have left before then. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought, well, gosh, if if I'm not able to make change, if I can't get people to see why, um, and if I can't influence in the way that I really want to, um, then who else is going to do it? Exactly. Um, so yeah, it can feel very, very lonely. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I also realized that, um, the only thing that I can change, um, it was a huge turning point for me when I realized the only thing I can control at this point is whether I continue to be a part of this toxic environment. Exactly. I cannot control what's going on beyond me. I have done all that I can. Um, I've tried all of my influencing tactics that I've used over the you know course of time. Um, and it's just gotten to a point where I'm not going to be able to make the change that I want to see happen or that I think is the right thing to do or any of that. You know, I finally realized like none of that matters. I'm not going to be able to make this change. So the only thing I can control is whether I continue to be a part of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a tough scenario to be in. It is. Um, let me ask you this. So I, I was doing some research for this and you stated in an article that the most traditional, uh, most traditional harassment training focuses solely on the legal definition of harassment and are yeah. normally led by attorneys. I don't know if you remember saying yep. that. I know there's a lot of content out there because I know myself and I'm writing blogs and articles. <laughs> I, I tend to forget everything that yeah, I say. Yeah. Um, no, I remember it well. Talk to me about what drove you to to write that out and, and what your perspective and the motivation was behind that statement. Like, like walk me through that. So we have a couple of Supreme Court cases um, to thank for all of this. Um, and it's essentially what has created the requirements for um, harassment training as it exists. And there are a growing number of states and municipalities that are now requiring harassment training to happen. But essentially, without going way too far into the weeds, mm-hmm. um, these couple of Supreme Court cases, essentially what they did was set up um, a set up the requirement that um, if companies could prove um, that they attempted to provide training, that they essentially had a policy and then told their employees um, what that policy was, an anti-harassment policy, that they offered some kind of training around the legal definition of harassment, et cetera, et cetera. If they offered all of those things that they essentially would not be held liable if a leader within their company was acting outside of that. So essentially what that does is okay. sets up the current legal environment mm-hmm. for harassment training, which is, so this is the part that I think most people don't, don't fully understand. This is the really counterintuitive kind of outgrowth of those couple of Supreme Court cases, which if you look at it on the whole, you go, oh, that's a step forward. Great. Um, you know, we're now requiring companies to, you know, hold their employees to their leaders in, in particular to a higher standard. But mm-hmm. the flip side, if you really look at that, what it is now set up is that companies are required to offer anti-harassment training, but it is to protect them from liability from the victim of harassment. What they are worried about is if someone is harassed within the workplace, is the company responsible for it? And what they're trying to prove is we're not responsible for it. But what that means is that what they're really worried about is can the victim of the harassment themselves come back 
and sue the company exactly, and have good legal standing. So that's the part that, again, and I, I say all of this not to suggest that companies are nefarious with their intent. I think most companies and most leaders would say, of course, we don't want to have harassment in our workplace. It's, it's awful. It's a horrible thing for someone to have to endure. And I think all of that is absolutely true. But that's, a, that's why I say um, that this current legal environment, the current the environment that we have is essentially set up to do that. And so what you see now is the vast majority of harassment training that exists is done by attorneys because again, you're coming back to the liability concerns. And when attorneys do harassment training, they're focused on the legal definition. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty high bar to meet um, is the legal definition of harassment. Um, and then there's a whole host of things that happen in the workplace that I would, that I call like, you know, this stuff still isn't okay. Like this is not okay. What's happening in the workplace. Give me a few. It doesn't come anywhere near the legal definition. So examples, um, let's say a um, manager um, asks an, an employee out and um, the employee feels uncomfortable with it and says no. Um, or let's say, um, um, well, hold on. Actually, let, can, I, can I touch on yeah, that for a second? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question about this because I think this is fairly interesting. So, recently, um, recently we had a, an employee that decided to to hang out and, and have some whatever the case is going to be with another employee, and I, I noticed it from the get go. We have multi team outings, and I immediately noticed it. Now I know how my CEO would have reacted to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say it would not have been a good reaction. Mm-hmm. Is the CEO, like from a legal perspective or from an emotional perspective, like is the CEO when the, okay, is there any legal grounds? Like, is that, is that against the law? Like, can you make a law or a rule where you guys can't date or like, is that a, is that a mm-hmm. legitimate yeah. thing where the CEO has some grounds for that? So I will say, first and foremost, I am not an attorney, um, so I have to say that. Um, and so I probably am not the best person to weigh in on the legal ins and outs. Here's what I will say. Plenty of companies have internal policies. So, again, this is of course, this, yeah. this is this gray area that I'm talking about, though, right, that like doesn't meet the legal definition of harassment, um, which tends to be quid pro quo, right, which is um, my boss says to me, you do this. Um, or you don't do this um, so that you either can get promoted or so that you don't get fired, right? Or some kind of negative um, employment um, action is taken for me. So that's quid pro quo, you know, which essentially is like this for that, right? Um, The other definition of legal harassment um, tends to be um, sustained and prolonged, you know, is kind of the layman's description of it, meaning like it has to go on for a long period of time, um, that it is so egregious um, to make things absolutely intolerable. Um, Well, again, everybody's definition of what's tolerable and not is a little bit different. Um, And does something have to be long and sustained and over a long period of time? Like, do do people have to wait and endure things (laughs) for months and months at a time um, for it to reach that that legal definition? So it's everything that falls short of that um, that becomes an issue. So what you're touching on is this idea of, you know, company policies. Well, 
lots and lots of companies have policies in place that cover a lot more of that ground of the stuff that's maybe not um, illegal, but certainly is undesirable within the workplace. And so you have a policy that says, you know, a lot of companies have policies, for example, that say people who are in a romantic relationship cannot report, one cannot report to the other, or I've also seen it where both people cannot report to the same manager. Um, so lots and lots of companies have those kinds of policies in place. I've also heard recent, more recently about policies where they're going really far to say, um, you know, no romance within the workplace. Um, you know, if one person um, essentially um, asks another person out, um, that they can only do it once um, and that it has to end there. I mean, there's <laughs> I'm seeing all kinds of variations on yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. There is. I mean, it's difficult to legislate. People develop relationships. Um, I have lots of friends who have met their spouse at work. Um, that's my, you know? my gut. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's honestly, it's all of this stuff um, taken to the extreme is really where it becomes problematic. Um, but, you know, I've also seen it happen where, um, you know, one person reports to another, um, they enter into a romantic relationship. Um, and then, then the question becomes, is this really truly consensual or is there, whether it's explicit or inexplicit, um, an expectation of, you know, employment conditions, meaning, well, I, if this goes south, will I lose my job? Um, you know, will I no longer have opportunities at this organization? Um, so yeah, it's messy. People are really, really messy. <laughs> and yeah. when you involve people, um, it's never, ever black and white. No. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with emotions, right? And you're dealing with human beings. So yep, it makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, not yeah. switching gears too much, but sure. I, I do have a question around the, the emotional safety of an employee, right? From, yeah. from both lenses, um, I want to ask it from the lens that you're really focusing on now as it pertains to the emotional safety and an employee feeling comfortable enough to actually say something about this and how can leaders develop that safety. And then talk to me more about the traditional lens around just the overall emotional safety and how in your mind you've seen that contribute towards just effectiveness in their job, their productivity, that whole thing. Like what are your, what are your thoughts on both ends of the spectrum? Yeah. It's a loaded term for a lot of people um, Uh because this is a number, this is another one of those things where I say a lot of companies have great intentions, but don't have a full appreciation for what the real impact is. Um, So we may say we want to provide psychological safety. And yet, is that really the case for everybody within your organization? You know, does everybody really feel the opportunity um, to be safe? Yeah. But if we come back to your original question, the idea of providing safety um, and, you know, essentially how do you create the trust so that people know that they can trust you with this information? Um, And I would say it really actually is relatively simple. It's that you show as an organization, whether it's you as an HR professional, you as a manager or a leader, or maybe it's the company CEO, you, you have to show people um, that they can trust you with it. Meaning, If you have an opportunity, you have um, someone come forward with allegations of misconduct of some type, um, that you deal with it, you deal with it swiftly, and that you don't lie to people 
about it afterwards. And what I mean by that is that we have a tendency to try and cover up um, what happens. Um, And again, a lot of that comes from concern around liability, um, around saying too much. um, You know, maybe we couldn't prove it 100%, but it was enough for us to decide to fire this person. Um, But when we send out those emails that say to your team, that say so-and-so has resigned to pursue other opportunities or so-and-so has resigned to spend time with his family. When in reality, we have fired that person for misconduct, you're lying to your team. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is continuing to um, reinforce that they can't fully trust you with the information that they don't know for sure. Um, So what I say to HR professionals and to leaders is even with very simple things like that, we have to examine what kind of message are we sending to the team? Are we taking the opportunity when we finally do deal with misconduct? Are we sitting down with the team to talk through what are our standards of uh, behavior? What are our expectations for each other? Um, And how do we deal with that when people step out of line? I think we have to take a little bit more risk um, and be a little bit more courageous in having some of those conversations. And what I have seen as I have done that myself and as I've coached other teams to do that, that is really truly where you build a trust. People understand that, oh, okay, now I do, I can see it. I can, I may not know all the details um, and I understand that I can't know all the details, but I do understand that, um, you know, that they're taking things very seriously. And there's a whole series of conversations you can have with your team. Hopefully you don't have to wait until something bad happens. You can do it before then. Um, but it's opening the dialogue and giving people more forums and venues. Um, and that trust is really built over time. And you actually just touched on something at the very end there. You, you shouldn't wait till something bad happens, right. right? You should be proactive, correct? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. But I will say one of the things I've learned in my years of HR, um, you know, as unfortunate as it is, again, you never want it to be this way. But I've also seen that the way that you can build trust the quickest and that people understand is in those really difficult moments. Um, you know, it's in the moment when I'm sitting across the table in an investigation with some, someone who has been the victim of um, or the target of harassment. Um, and I say to them, what you're dealing with is totally inappropriate. You are exactly right to come forward and we're going to deal with this. Um, you know, being able to establish trust in that way um, it, it is when that trust is is really formed. And and let me ask you this too, because this was something again when I came to this industry, uh, it until this day I still struggle with it. Why are CEOs, executives, why why are we lying, finessing, you know, you know, not being truly honest? Like I don't understand the the lack of transparency. I just I I don't get it. Um, yeah, it, it really boggles my mind that we need to try to drive the narrative and the perception and the story and wh- why does it have to be all this why can't we just maybe it's my background and where i come from and me and my friends this is my internal group and my entrepreneurial career maybe i'm just used to being very straightforward um but uh yeah i i i, I yet to i don't i don't understand it can so maybe enlighten me uh, on why it's <laughs> like that yeah i i think that over over time um, we're conditioned to um, accept the risk, the concern about liability. Oh, if we say too much about why we fired, 
John Doe, then he could come back and sue us for defamation, um, you know, that we ruined his career. And, you know, there are lawsuits out there um, about that very thing um, or that they come back and sue for wrongful termination. Um, So a lot of it is legal concerns. Um, I think the other side of it, too, is that, um, you know, we're conditioned to cover things up, Um, you know, that um, the patriarchy is a strong um, system of oppression that's been in place for hundreds of years. um, And it's really hard to break that down. And so even without meaning to, um, we continue to reinforce it over and over and over again. Um, And it's, again, covering up the worst behavior. Um, It's, well, if we don't talk about it, maybe nobody will know um, just how bad it got. There's also a fear of telling people that things went on um, because people ask the very legitimate question of, well, how could this have gone on for so long? You know, who allowed this to happen? Um, So, again, those are all really, really hard, really challenging questions. situations and really there none of those things have a black and white answer uh, but I am starting to see some some changes um, you know we're starting to see companies come out and be more honest about why people are you know losing their jobs um, whether it's an internal memo that's leaked um, I'm thinking about Netflix last year um, let a very senior member of their team go um, And they sent an internal memo to their team um, explaining exactly why Um, Steve made a number of really racist comments. um, And they, the CEO talked exactly about why he had done that. So we're starting to see the trend a bit, Um, but it really does require a tremendous amount of courage, but I think it's the only way forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, transparency is something that I think through, through social media and just through the way that people, I, I will give you that people are starting to be a little bit more, Courageous and a little bit more uh, dedicated to getting the truth out there um, because there's so much opportunity now, right? And it kind of goes yeah. back to the employees and, and and having the leverage and being able to leave a company and not being afraid that there will be other jobs yeah. through, I mean, through as simple as eBaying, through thrift stores, to entrepreneurial Absolutely. careers, through podcasts, through other jobs. The, the landscape of making money and having a career uh, is very wide right now. Yep. Um, and so I, I think if, if any employee is going to be listening, I think uh, I, it's and, and, and let me let me preface, preface it with this. It's it's very difficult from the entrepreneurial lens to get that off the ground. And I, and I know not everyone has it in their DNA, but uh, yep. there are options out here. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, never mind all of the, you know, this talk about gig economy, um, you know, but the. And that that's a whole other that could be a whole other multiple hour conversation, too, about the implications of that. But, yes, you're absolutely right. There are so many there are a lot more options out there. And I think a lot more than people realize it's very easy, especially when you're dealing with a crisis, um, you know, a career crisis or a crisis at the company that you're currently in personal crisis. Mm -hmm. um, It's very easy to, to for your focus to narrow and to feel like you are stuck, you know, to feel like there isn't much you can do. But, yeah, I'm. I'm on a mission to help people understand there's so much more that we can do, um, whether it's, you know, in the moment when somebody makes an inappropriate comment, um, all the way to, you know, I have to decide whether I'm going to stay at this company or not. Yeah. And I'll say this too. And let me just shoot a message again to any employee that's going to be listening to this. Cause I just got done conducting my one-on-ones with my staff today. We're going, we're developing their, um, their, indiv- indiv- their individual development plans and making sure <laughs> that they're, they're, they're focused on their own development, whether it's the people they need to meet, the relationship they need to conduct, 
the shadowing they need to do outside of even the company that they're working for right now to develop skills, the programs and the courses they need to utilize, the self-development. Um, those things will help you out too, right? Because you never want to limit yourself to the position you have because you're afraid that you don't have as much competence as other potential candidates out there. So when you go yeah. through a difficult situation and you feel like you can't leave due to the lack of competence you have, um, despite the fact that you're, you're getting harassed and that's not a good thing, you do give yourself more leverage by gaining those, 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 those skills, by building the relationships, by networking, by maybe putting out content on LinkedIn, you know, going to conferences, you know, getting yourself out there will definitely help your, your potential opportunities as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really complex issue. You know, as with any of these things, there's no, there's no one answer, but you're absolutely right. There's at the end of the day, um, what I want people to really walk away with is an understanding. There's so much more in your control and you have so much more power, um, sometimes than you even realize. Perfect. Okay, so was, was there was there anything? Because I I have a bunch more topics down here, but like I told you, I do kind of have a hard stop. I uh, yeah, I really wish I, I have about another five or six things that I really wanted to dive into. Um, is there anything else? I do have one more question that I just wanted to. I want to start getting this out a little bit more because I think it's something that I that is very important along with kind of the narrative you're going along with. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk on or touch on or anything about? the brand that you have right now that you're, you're trying to get off the ground. Is there anything about that that you want to kind of share with the listeners? Sure. I think people can come follow us. We got started on Instagram. It's still where we're going strong. Um, so follow us on Instagram at HR uprise, um, H R U P R I S E. Um, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Um, I like to say we don't swear quite as much on LinkedIn as they do on Instagram. So, you know, a little bit more safe for work version of what you see out there. Uh Um, And then you can also reach out to us on the website too. Um, Again, we're really starting to crank out a lot of what I hope will be valuable information for people and tools that they can use on a daily basis. So yeah, reach out to us through all those ways. Are you, do you have a podcast yet? (laughs) Not yet, but gosh, it seems like everybody does. And I am an avid, avid podcast listener. Um, It's pretty much all I listen to these days. So um, yeah, stay tuned. Um, it's, it's an ideal that's percolating for sure. Okay. Um, and speaking, are you doing that? Yes, absolutely. So available for speaking, whether it's, um, company events or conferences, um, yes, do quite a bit of that. And all that information is available on our website, hruprise.com. Perfect. What I'll probably do, cause I'm looking at the time. I'll probably, if, if you're open to it, I would love to, to have you on again at some point, maybe we'll do yeah. a part two and get through the these other eight or so questions that yes, I have. Absolutely. Um, I'd love that. And dive into a few more topics. But uh, Rebecca, I really appreciate it. Uh, there's a lot of great value here. I really think anyone that's dealing with this, please break down this podcast, stop it, pause it, really ingest what she's saying. There's a lot of great things here to think about. Um, any last final words or a message to anyone? Um, no, I think my, my last message is like, if we can't, there, there's a ton of talk about future of work and AI and gig economy. And I like to call it corporate, you know, buzzword bingo. Um, but if we can't provide safe workplaces for people, then we don't have the right to talk about anything else. A hundred percent. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely connect soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot.